0: Uh Oh-oh, that gliding baseball rag See the pitcher throw and strike him out You got him going Uh Oh-oh, that gliding baseball rag Don't you be a quitter, show him you're a heavy hitter Some classy curve, the pitcher twirling Go on, kids spin without a whirling Hey, soak it out, soak it out Make a home run, ball, strike Base hit, first base, make seconds. You're a bird, keep it going, sonny. Make me win a lot of money. Don't stop. Until you're touching third, you're a holy terror And the fielder made an air. Fly, fly. You made a good beginning, for you know that your team always makes a winning when you play ball and sling that baseball racks. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the May 19th edition of Free Baseball. The podcast that's willing to go into extra innings to bring you the best in baseball analysis, commentary, and insight. I'm your host, Robert Cadera. On this week's show, I'll be giving you my all time All Star team consisting of players I've actually had the good fortune to see play since attending my first ball game back in 1954. So no Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, or Ty Cobb here. You may or may not agree with my picks. I hope you'll at least understand my reasoning. During the second half of today's show, we'll look at a rather controversial unsung hero and have a trivia bonus with another brain-stretching question for you. So, Jane, take it away. Saber, the Society for American Baseball Research, says that more than 22,000 players have played in the big leagues during the past 152 seasons. I've been following baseball in person and on television and listening on radio for almost 70 years now, and during that time have witnessed, by my estimation, more than 20,000 games. The reason baseball has a Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, is to honor those whose skills and achievements stand above the rest. My all-time team will reflect those major leaguers I've seen play who have likewise set themselves apart. We begin today with the catching position because, as Casey Stengel said when the Mets made Hobie Landreth their top pick in the expansion draft on October 10, 1961, if you don't have a catcher, you get a lot of pass balls. One thing first, catchers provide value in many different areas of the game, defense, pitch calling, Controlling the running game, handling a pitching staff, as well as hitting. If we exclude hitting, I might select Jerry Grody here. Jerry was the best catcher I ever saw without a bat in his hands. Watching Jerry and Tom Seaver work together to keep an opposing lineup off balance was seeing artistry unfold. But there's no getting around it. Johnny Bench brought all the defensive skills, ten gold gloves, and he hit 389 home runs in his career. Plus, let's not forget the 10 he hit in the postseason and three more in All-Star competition to make it a 402 total. He was the rookie of the year, a two-time MVP, the World Series MVP in 1976. Johnny Bench is easily, in my mind, the greatest catcher of all time, and I'm glad to have seen him throughout his 17-year career. My all-time catcher, Johnny Bench. Let's move on now to first base. At first, I was going to pencil in Stan the Man Musial here, But when I saw him in the 1950s and 1960s, he was playing more outfield than first base, so I'm going with a different Cardinal first baseman. No, not Keith Hernandez. Nope, I'm talking about Prince Albert here, Albert Pujols. Rookie of the Year. Three-time MVP, four-time runner-up in the MVP competition, 3,384 hits. 703 homers with 19 more in the postseason. A 22-year career, no steroids, no scandals, nothing to keep him from being my all-time first baseman. He's only been retired for a quarter of one season, and I miss him already. Now, the big red machine of the 1970s didn't win all of those games just because of Johnny Bench. My all-time second baseman had something to do with it as well. Joe Morgan could do it all. A 22-year career, two-time MVP, 10-time All-Star, five gold gloves, 40 or more steals nine years in a row, 100 or more runs scored eight times, 1,865 walks, almost twice as many walks as strikeouts which is unheard of in recent baseball memory more than 100 wins above replacement for his career 2517 base hits 813 of which were extra base hits including 268 home runs all this from his 5 foot 7 and 160 pounds He was the best I ever saw around the keystone. Shortstop. Oh, shortstop. This one was not easy. I eliminated Er Ernie Banks since most of the time I saw him, he played first base. I decided to reward reliability here, and there was nobody more reliable than Cal Ripken. There was one record I never thought would be beaten when I was a kid, and that was Lou Gehrig's record for consecutive games played. Cal Ripken not only surpassed Gehrig's record, he obliterated it. Gehrig, as you recall, played 2,130 games in a row. Ripken tied that and then added 502 more games. That's more than three full seasons to that total. It's hard to fathom in this day and age where, where teams travel coast to coast, the season and the postseasons are longer, but Ripken did it. Cal also hit 431 home runs. He won the Rookie of the Year and MVP awards, eight Silver Slugger awards, was a 19-time All-Star and achieved a 336 career average in postseason play, 21 years of consistency and ultra-dependability, so Ripken's the shortstop on my all-time team. Third base proved to be the most difficult choice. During my lifetime, I've seen four third basemen I would classify as great, Eddie Matthews, Mike Schmidt, Brooks Robinson, and George Brett. A closer examination of these players' stats tipped the scale in Mike Schmidt's favor. He led the league, the National League, in home runs eight times, in RBI four times, in slugging five times, hit 548 career home runs, And before you can say Brooks Robinson, Schmidt won 10 gold gloves at third base too. Add in the 1980 World Series MVP and you have a pretty convincing case. So I put Mike Schmidt at third base on my all-time team. Now, unlike third base, my choices for the three outfield positions are simple. And these three players may be the three greatest of all the players I've seen. Their identities should not be a mystery to anyone familiar with the last 60 years of Major League Baseball. Willie Mays, Henry Aaron, and Mickey Mantle. I'm not going to quote stats on these guys. They each excelled in their own ways. But the best hitter that I have ever seen on a Major League Diamond was a healthy Mickey Mantle batting right-handed. I rate him the greatest switch hitter of all time, and remember the early Mickey Mantle before the injuries, when the kid was the fastest set of wheels on the on the field in the entire game. It was the best drag bunter I've ever seen. Mickey Mantle was a player who could kill you in so many ways and from both sides of the plate. Now Willie Mays was without a doubt the most exciting player I have ever watched play the game. Power, speed, a great glove and arm in center field, and a flair for the dramatic that no other player matched. Say hey, there was nobody like him ever, and there never will be again. Henry Aaron Simply put, Henry Aaron is my favorite player of all time. I saw him in his first season with the Braves as a 20-year-old rookie in 1954. I saw him ring down the curtain to his peerless career as a 42-year-old with the Brewers in 1976. I saw him win the 1957 pennant for the Braves with a home run against the Cardinals. I saw him hit... 715, on a cool night in April. To appreciate Henry Aaron, you had to see him play on a day-to-day basis. He was steady, brilliant, fast, and powerful. If Henry had played in New York, they say, instead of the small market of Milwaukee, all of baseball would have recognized his greatness long before he broke the Babes' home run record. So that's my all-time team at bat and in the field. The hardest thing about them would be forming a lineup. Who bats eighth? They say pitching wins ball games too, right? Well, every time I hear New York fans extol the talents of Sandy Koufax or Whitey Ford, I shake my head and smile. They were both great left-handers, but let's get real. Koufax won 20 or more games three times in his career. Ford was a 20-game winner twice. Warren Spahn won 20 or more games 13 times. 13 times. Spahnny tossed 65 shutouts to Koufax's 40 and Ford's 45. He had more complete games, 382, than Koufax or Ford had starts. Something many don't realize about Spahn is what an athlete he was, often used as a pinch runner or a pinch hitter. Whitey Ford hit three home runs in his career. Koufax hit two. Spahn hit 35 home runs and drove in nearly twice as many runs as Ford and Koufax combined. Again, he pitched in Boston and Milwaukee for most of his career and not New York. But the numbers don't lie. The choice of lefty starter on my all-time team was an easy one, Warren Spahn. No pitcher gave me greater joy to watch than my right-handed starter, Tom Seaver. Maybe it's because I've always been a Mets fan, or maybe it's because more than any other pitcher, Tom Seaver combined physical skills with such an intelligent approach to pitching. As a Mets fan, I saw Seaver turn the franchise around to the point where his nickname in New York actually became The Franchise. To me, Seaver combined the craftiness of Spahn, the competitive fire of Bob Gibson, and the physical skill of Koufax. He was the complete package. Now, I only selected one relief pitcher on my all-time team, but when your reliever is Mariano Rivera, you only need one relief pitcher. Mariano towered over his bullpen competitors, The man recorded 652 career saves and a career-earned run average of 2.21. His career stats for the postseason are ridiculous. 96 games pitched, 141 innings, 8 wins, 1 loss, and a 0.70 ERA against the greatest teams of his time. Oh, and by the way, 42 more saves. Has anyone ever dominated like Mariano Rivera? There you have it. My all-time team. Did I miss someone? Now, we usually do a segment at about this time in the show called The Unsung Hero of the Game. This week, we're going to tweak that a little bit. Our player is hardly an unsung hero. He's one of the best-known players in the history of Major League Baseball, Pete Rose. You might have noticed that neither Pete Rose nor any of the players tainted on the issue of performance-enhancing drugs made my all-time team. There's a reason for that. Players who flaunt the rules should not be so honored. As you probably know, Pete Rose has been banned from the game and the Hall of Fame for betting while he was manager of the Reds. I've always been okay with that until this past year. It was always said that betting and baseball don't mix. But you can't tell that if you watch the Apple TV games or look at the ads that now underwrite baseball broadcasts. In fact, the Apple game broadcasts are tailored to be watched while the viewer has a betting app opened on their cell phone or computers. Part of the screen real estate is taken up by live, updating betting odds that change pitch by pitch. Sure, they always include a disclaimer to bet responsibly, but the fact is that Major League Baseball now encourages its fans to bet on every aspect of the game, not to mention that they are now relocating one of their franchises to Las Vegas in three more years. It is hypocritical for Major League Baseball to continue its ban on Pete Rose for his doing the same thing they encourage all of their bu- or their viewers to do. Bet on the game. Are you listening, Rob Manfred? I know you are disinclined to turn away from any dollar, legitimate or otherwise, but you can't have it both ways. If the game is tainted by gambling, as it has been in the past, then either get rid of the on-screen gambling and sponsorships or reinstate the all-time hits leader in the game. I don't say this out of loyalty to Pete Rose. I never liked him as a player, probably because he was always on the team I was rooting against. But the change in attitude toward gambling that Major League Baseball now exhibits requires it to remove the stain from Rose's name. Do it now. Okay, fans, it's trivia time now at Free Baseball. Last week's question should have been an easy one. Our trivia question was to identify the player who performed for the Mets, was an All-Star in the 1950s, an MVP in the 1960s, had a brother who pitched in the majors for five years, and another brother who appeared in five World Series. He was also an infielder who led National League Center fielders in fielding percentage one season, and he was a major league manager for three seasons. Yes, as many of you guessed, the answer was none other than Ken Boyer. Now, this week's trivia question should be just as easy for the true baseball nerd we're going back to the 1954 season. The American League batting champ that year was second baseman Bobby Avila of the Indians, who hit three hundred forty one. Back then, to qualify for the batting crown, you needed 477 or more official at-bats, Today the criteria is different and we use plate appearances, not official at-bats, to qualify. A player thus needs 502 plate appearances to be eligible for the batting championship now. But back in 1954, there was another major leaguer who would have beaten out Bobby Avila for the American League batting championship if today's criteria were used back then. Your question, who was this runner-up who would be considered the 1954 batting champion by today's rules? We'll have the answer next week. That's it for today. Thanks for stopping by. We hope to see you next Friday with another go-round of free baseball. I'm your host, Robert Cadera. Hope to see you then. Bye. The Free Baseball Podcast is brought to you by Black Range Publishing, producers of the Gabe McKenna Mystery Series and the Black Range Pub Podcast. You can find us at www.blackrangepublishing.com Free Baseball can also be found at the following podcast platforms. Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible. Come back and enjoy free baseball every Friday. I'm your host, Robert Cadera. Thanks for stopping by. See you next week.